Welcome to Produce Talks. This whole business is based on relationship and friendships. Food is darn simple. What can we do? What are other countries doing? How important it is for industry to be talking about this. We're going back to the farm. We're going back to the whole food. Hi, I'm Wally Burns, the Education and Training Manager at CPMA. CPMA would like to acknowledge Nature Fresh Farms as our Produce Talks series sponsor. Find out more about Nature Fresh Farms and how they are growing for a kinder future at www.naturefresh.ca. You can keep up with them on Instagram or Twitter at nature underscore fresh and on Pinterest at naturefresh along with other social media. This is the recording of a learning lounge from the recent CPMA Convention and Trade Show in Toronto. It is called The Changing Supply Chain, A Buyer's Perspective, with Mario Maselis leading a discussion with representatives from the retail produce industry. Mario is with Catania Worldwide and was most recently the chair of the CPMA Board of Directors, just ending his term in April. The five panelists are... Andrea Vandergrift of Costco Wholesale Canada, Lindsay Young of Federated Co-op, Sierra Johnston of Save-On Foods, Jeff Fowler of Sobeys Inc., Jen Zavala of Gordon Food Service Canada. In addition, we are very pleased to add a new segment to each of our monthly episodes called Industry Insights. It's a short segment of about five to seven minutes of current information that we hope will provide you with timely updates to help in your business. This month, we'll hear from Mike Mowdy, who is CPMA's consumer guru, with some statistics from the Canadian consumer market. Stay to the end of this episode to hear Mike's insights. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to the 2023 Learning Lounge. Uh, as Jane puts it, we've always saved the best for last, and this uh, group of panelists will, uh, will prove us all correct on that matter. Um, I don't know if you've all heard, uh, but there are supply chain issues. <laughs> um, and they continue and will continue to uh, challenge us to deliver fruits and vegetables in a timely manner, in a fresh manner, uh, to the store shelves of Canadian retailers. Uh, my name is Mario Maselis. I'm the Vice President of Sales and Marketing for Catania Worldwide and your outgoing chair this year. You just saw the incoming chair coming in, Colin Champdelin. And uh, we have a wonderful uh, group of panelists here. Um, I'll start from the end here and you can begin to introduce yourself and tell us what you do and who you do it for. Hi, uh, can you hear me okay? Yeah. I'm, I'm Andrea Vandergrift. Um, I'm the assistant vice president for produce for Costco Wholesale. Um, so I buy pro all fruits and vegetables for all 107 locations that we have across Canada. Good afternoon. I'm Lindsay Young. I'm the category development manager for produce at Federated Co-op. Hi, everyone. I'm Sierra Johnston, and I'm the general manager for the produce and floral division of Save On Foods. Good afternoon, everyone. My name is Jeff Fowler. I'm the national sourcing director for Sobeys Inc. Good afternoon. My name is Jen Zavala. I'm the North American Category Manager for Gordon Food Service. Thank you all for coming and, and speaking with this group because this is a, an important subject. Jen, I'm going to start with you. 
Over the last three years, we know the reason why we've had these supply chain issues. Can you get into any further discussion as to, is there any relief in sight in your company? And what's that gonna look like? Yeah, I would say we're, we're all aware of the supply chain issues we've had. Um, at Gordon Food Service, we've actually seen that produce has fared much better than many of our other categories. Um, I think just the produce industry in general, we're pretty resilient and um, we're able to find solutions. But um, today we still see uh, some interruptions from labor, both in our distribution centers as well as trying to find drivers, product incoming. And so that's a space that we've had to lean in on and, and start looking for some different solutions and some, um, you know, kind of think outside the box, right? And so I would say that's a, a space that we're still um, challenged with and continuing to work on today. Okay, Jeff? Yeah. We continue to see the challenges. I think we've seen improvement through some of the supply chain where we were probably two years ago, 2021, um, COVID and you know, when we had the port issues and, and some of those major weather impacts, but weather is still problematic. It's becoming more frequent over and over. Certain categories are not faring that well. We see those disruptions, especially in some of the, uh, you know, what we see over in California with some of the lettuce categories, berries, et cetera. So um, continuing to try to diversify, um, work with our supplier partners, how we can diversify those regions to mitigate um, those actions. It comes with a cost, like these disruptions and changing origins, but you know, then the next piece is how do we drive those efficiencies out? Input costs are up, fertilizers, labor, everything you know, that we know is there, but then how can we, um, as retailers as, and customers to, you know, to the consumer, drive some of our own inefficiencies out and get creative to mitigate that throughout? It's not going to go away. To answer your question in a nutshell, no, it's not going to go away. Okay, so I hear labor, I hear weather. <laughs> Sierra? Um, yeah, you know, I think for us, we've definitely seen a bit of the relief in the transportation in the last little while. Um, transportation's definitely got a little bit better, a little bit easier. Things are flowing a little bit better for us. Um, you know, mentioning weather, obviously that's a continual challenge for the produce categories, and that's something we have to really, I think, be aware of and creative in how we move forward and how, you know, what suppliers we're working with, diversifying our suppliers where possible um, to make sure that, you know, our cost of goods are kept where they need to be. Um, yeah, you know, aside from that, I think other challenges, I think labor is going to continue to be a challenge. Absolutely. I think that, you know, the cost of labor is definitely um, something that I don't see, you know, is going to necessarily improve, um, you know, and accessing really good labor, you know, transportation labor is for one, right, getting truck drivers that are willing to, um, to do long hauls, etc. Um, but yeah, no, I don't foresee it's going to, you know, I think any end anytime soon. I think there's always many challenges in the industry. So, yeah. Lindsay, anything to add? No, a lot of what they've mentioned is, uh, I would echo, uh, I think we're always going to have challenges. It's uh, weather is probably the, the biggest <laughs> one that, that we're faced with right now. Um, and one that certainly is probably not going to go away and continue to, to challenge us uh, in the future, current future and, and well into the future. So, Anything to add, Andrew? Pretty much the same. I mean, uh, we have seen some easing of some of the issues that we've had, particularly on freight and vessels and all of those issues. 
weather is a big, big concern, um, and we're all, I think we're all trying to find alternative solutions for that. Mm-hmm. Labor as well. I was talking to a blueberry grower today and asked if he was going to be able to manage his supply when it comes on in July, and he basically will stop doing it. Yep, yep, yeah. <laughs> I was, I was talking to a blueberry producer um, from BC, and they're going to have a lot of fruit coming in on July, and I asked him how he was going to manage it, and he kind of looked at me and almost laughed, because he doesn't know where he's going to get the labor to actually get the fruit off the plants, which is a scary position for anyone to be in. Okay, so you hear a general theme here. I'm going to throw one last curve at all of you <laughs> on that same question. Recession. Yeah. Along with all the labor issues and all the um, climate weather, transportation. Now the consumer is going to complain that they either don't have a job because of a recession, their wages haven't reached up, and how does a retailer combat that? Jeff, you're nodding your head. You've got an answer for us. Go. What we've seen at Sobeys, um, and it's very expected what I'm about to say, a large shift to our discount channel. So our, our fresh go banner stores, you know, presence here in Ontario and in the Western provinces, they've seen a definite pickup market share gain. That's the customer shift. Some of our conventional stores in marketplace, you know, the, there's the give and take uh, happening with that. The other impact, especially for uh, conventional type stores, Sobeys a Safeway, is the TPR has gone up significantly, mm-hmm. meaning the promo penetration has gone up. Customers are more, customers are more Know, value focus and picking up more of those promotional type items. Were you asking me how to combat that? Okay, <laughs> to combat that. <laughs> um, obviously working more on some of those value equations. You can't just have everything on promo and, and give everything away. It's, it's business at the end of the day. Um, also, you know, it's, it's where we can shift that focus. It, it's really made us take a step back and realize, you know, looking at our assortments and produce, depending on the formats across the country, uh, eliminating some of that duplication. Not necessarily eliminating uh, assortment, but duplication, where there might be a bulk format, a bag, different bag formats, et cetera, and kind of steer that customer to that purchase. That way we can have better controls of, of that, end, uh, that end basket. And then uh, last, it's, it's working with our partners, our supplier partners and growers on, on some of the value add that there is to offer. Um, yeah, it's, and it's a continued work in progress, I'm not going to lie. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Jen? Yeah, generally in the, the food service sector, when we hit recession, we start to see customers trade down, right? So they were going out to fine dining, then they'll maybe start going into more of a fast casual um, and so on and so forth. We also generally see our operators reduce their menus down so they have less menu items, which is less items on their orders from us. Um, And then what we really try to do to try to help them is anywhere where we can find a value for them, whether it's labor savings, whether it's less waste, we're really trying to drive those types of items. And so in produce, if we can move customers from commodity to value added, those items generally don't have as much price elasticity um, and they can save labor. That's usually, you know, a go-to for us on the produce side. Okay. Yeah. One more retailer. You can pick whoever wants to talk to me about that. How you're going to combat 
we just talked about? I, I can speak up. I mean, I think, I think it's so simple. Like, ultimately, we really need to be creative at trying to get the best cost of goods, right, so we can offer the best retails to, to our customers. Um, I think, you know, being in conventional grocery versus, you know, discount grocery is a bit of a challenge. There is a price perception. We might be at the same, you know, retail price as maybe, you know, a discounter, um, but maybe we aren't perceived as that because there is such high inflation at this point, and everyone's facing it. Um, so I think that, you know, at least from, from our side, we're really trying to become more efficient with how we do business, um, you know, and then working with all of our suppliers and our growers to make sure that we're really getting the best cost of goods and whether that's sourcing from a different, you know, part of the country or sourcing from a different area um, that we can really, I mean, get the best cost that we can offer our customers the best retail. You know, we're seeing the same, which is less items per transaction. Um, and I, I think that we will probably see that for at least the next year until things start to ease. So, yeah, whatever you can do to offer the best retails. <laughs> okay. Um, there is definitely a focus in Canada right now, given the parliamentary meetings and the ad committee meetings and all the major retailers being brought up to talk about, are you allowed to make profits? Why are you <laughs> making profits? Why are Canadians paying so much more for food? You know, so... Talking with that, the pressure on food pricing has impacted, has it impacted your approach to procurement? You're looking at me? Yes, I'm looking <laughs> at you. Um, absolutely it has, and in some ways, I hate to say it, but I think it's made us a bit better because we've really had to dig into all of our costs along the whole supply chain to figure out where we can find value, where we can cut costs without cutting the cost to the growers because we don't want that either. We're trying to protect our pricing to our members, so we've really had to pull everything apart, dig in and find where can we find cost savings along the whole supply chain. Does the cost of this packaging make sense? Did we go too fancy on this? Where can we find cost savings so that we don't have to pass all of these cost increases on? Lindsay? Yeah, I think a lot of it was efficiencies in our own processes, like you mentioned. So whether that's watching our demands from our procurement side and buying a little tighter with the fluctuations in commodities and some of the pricing that we've seen over the last several years, um, just getting a little tighter on that and watching that a little more closely um, has definitely been something that we've we've done over the last little while. But but certainly logistics is another side of the business that uh, that we've been working on and trying to trying to get the lowest possible cost of goods that we can. Yeah, I think something that was interesting that uh, Save on Foods did is we, you know, largely our procurement came from our uh, category managers and our buying side. And we actually, through, you know, the last couple of years, particularly through COVID and seeing these high inflationary times, we actually branched out into a whole procurement department. And we, we developed a whole new procurement department that's solely based on exactly what you're talking to, which is finding those efficiencies and making sure that we're procuring, um, you know, the proper products at the proper cost. So um, I, that's been largely successful for us. Yeah. Jeff? I'm going to echo everything the panel said just a little more. And, and Andrea touched on the first point I was going to say. There, there's only so much we can go low with our growers. They need to make money. We need to make money. It's, it's business. Um, and again, it's, the ladies have said, just driving the efficiencies out. I think where I think us as retail, as customers, um, you know, 
we, we had a say before, more control. Um, then it is kind of cold, but especially when you talk about freight and, and distribution labor, et cetera, now it's, you know, it's shifted, right? And now there's a financial impact negatively hitting us and right down to our bottom line cost of goods. So back to the efficiencies, you know, how can we get more to just one pigs, not jumping around with the trucks? It, those little things, even from our you know, store delivery side on, on the outbound, just the efficiencies there as well, because those costs add up and it all really goes right down to the end customer and the end consumer in the end. Okay, so all, I'm hearing that you all have very legitimate programs in place. I'd love to hear that the fact that the growers are actually wanting to get paid and need to get paid because without the growers were nothing. Okay. How can we convey, starting with the restaurant industry, the message to consumers that we are justified in asking these price increases, and here's why. What's your organization doing to help with that process? Yeah, so on the restaurant side, I mean, we're constantly, even pre-COVID, right, working to try to send communication out to our customers about what the markets are doing. We help them, hey, if one market is going high, try to provide substitutions, things like that. But I think the, the biggest um, factor there is the communication and just being open and honest and, you know, providing them back to source, you know, information so that they know that it is legitimate, that, you know, there actually was floods <laughs> in California, right? Um, and the more that we can talk about that leading up to when the impact hits them, I think that's, that's very helpful. But for us, it, there's a lot of communication needed. Andrea, it's a little bit of a challenge, I think, for a club store. As a member of Costco, when I go shopping, you have very little merchandising. The item is there, the price is there, there's no story behind it, but the price continues to go up and down. What can Costco do to help with that? The best that we can do is really educate our employees so that as the members are shopping, if they have questions, if they're making comments, then the employees can then tell them this is what's going on. So we try to give them as much information as to all the weather impacts, things that are happening, what's increasing the costs. There have been times when things have been really bad that we have posted signage up in the stores about what's going on. This is why we don't have romaine. This is what's happening out there. But for the most part, having our employees being able to talk to our members is our best form of communication. Lindsay? Yeah, I, I echo that as well. I think. Um, the consumers are more educated than ever before um, on some of the challenges, especially some of the weather impacts, and um, they're really aware of some of the things that are going on. So I think that helps educate them uh, a little bit as well. But we also have done a lot of educating of our own uh, retails as well and making sure that they have an understanding, whether that's you know pictures of the growing region and the floods and just really educating them on, on what the challenges are and why we're facing them and, and why they're not getting uh, XYZ product, uh, but uh, that's, I think that's a big piece of it. Education and communication are going to be crucially important. Sierra. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, we've done a lot of the same things. You know, we put up signs when there have been supply issues, particularly when we're seeing some drastic weather impacts. Um, you know, obviously educating the team. We really drive to, um, you know, support like our local growers and make sure that we're really getting out there and highlighting who we're bringing in that's local. And I think that really does help some of that perception. We're supporting those local growers and oftentimes customers are willing to, you know, accept that, especially in times where it's challenging to maybe 
maybe get get supply from other regions. Um, and then on top of that, we really try to focus in on the quality of the product that we're bringing in, you know, and making sure that we do have the top quality product. Um, but you know, largely, I think at this stage, customers are aware of the inflation. They know they're paying more for produce, they're paying more for everything in the grocery stores these days. Um, so, you know, I think customers are pretty educated when it comes to some of the inflationary measures, whether that's easy or not. <laughs> Do they know why? Right, yeah, that is, yeah, that is a good question, yeah, yeah. Jeff, your company still uses flyers? Yes. Whether electronic or otherwise? Paper and digital. Would that be a good way good to... Good outlet? Partial. Um, one of the panel touched on it, and it's something we're, we're working very strong. We actually had some of the team uh, independently yesterday morning going through some of our own initiatives and customer experience. To get to the end customer experience, it's not... You know, it, it, in my work, I'm, I'm backstage. Um, my managers are backstage, you know, managing the programs nationally, but it starts with our front-end employees. And through COVID and just where we are today, you know, the labor force, that, that's a challenge for us. A lot of turnover, um, constantly looking to hire. So we've lost probably over the last 15 years that, that, that bench where, you know, there was, there was people there for a lifetime and they had that passion and, and we kind of lost it. And that passion go also goes to education. Right? Why something is higher price or why it's not in stock. Um, yes, if, if a crop is uh, devastated and there's a complete failure, yeah, we'll, we'll post something, right? But it, it, doesn't, it doesn't give that, that why and that education. And that's something we have to get more grassroots into our store teammates, um, that they're able to convey that message, both positive and negative. Why there's inflation, but also um, that upsell too, that, that art of, you know, Hey, have you tried this? Fantastic. So, so there, it can kind of shift and, and then keep, keep, you know, keep our basket at least uh, up and mitigate, uh, mitigate any of those gaps. Okay. Give it a shot. Yeah, so I guess the only thing I would add to that is, you know, we do send out weekly crop reports to our sales teams and our customers can get that information as well. Um, our co-op that we're a part of, Marcon, they're out in the fields. They're, you know, doing videos and live in the field showing the product. So that's very meaningful to our sales team. So they can see the product on the back of the inspector's truck and they see whatever the problem is for themselves. They saw the floods and they did drone video. I mean, that, that's, that's all very meaningful. And those are things we can then share with our customers, really legitimize, you know, the inflation. So. Okay. Um, I've got one last point that I want to bring up with the group. What's your biggest supply chain concern right now? Yeah, I, th I think our biggest concern is weather. You know, we continue to see erratic weather in many of the different growing regions. And I think for a while, you know, it wasn't as erratic in California, but now we've seen that come to play this year. And so really from our standpoint of procurement, we're looking at trying to be more localized, trying to spread kind of our buy out. We're looking at different regions that we probably tended to stay away from in the past, um, but weather and, and, you know, kind of that unknown mother nature <laughs> is probably our, our biggest thing that keeps us up at night. Jeff? Similar, insurity of supply, weather is a major impact, labor is an impact. Um, there, do you see any? Do you see any relief? Forget about weather; we can't control that. But with labor, do you see any relief down there? 
Let's keep going. There's depending on I, I think some of the, some of the categories out here on the flow. Like there there is automation that, that continues to grow, but um, no, there's still an impact. Still, we are predominantly still a lot of field crops. There's still a lot of manual labor involved um, across the total produce department. So we, we don't have that magic solution yet. There, the automation will help. Will you know CEA innovation help again? But it's very very small penetration in the market today. Um, yeah, so we need to continue to, you know, I think and depending on the, the category out there in the produce department, some are diversifying, right? Whether it's origins, regions, with our supplier groups, some is, all, some is the opposite, condensing and be more meaningful with that supplier partner because also them, I think a lot of that, uh, there's been contraction, kind of that spot market where they're buying on or they're growing uh, on a spot market. They want to grow knowing that they have it sold and they want customer partners who are with them, okay. good and bad. So it's, there's a give and take there for sure. Sierra, biggest concern you have right now? I think it's just the unknown at this point. You know, whether it's weather or anything else, you, it's that we've seen so much, um, you know, uncertainty hit us in the last little while that it almost feels like you never quite know what's going to come up. So, you know, ensuring you have the supply and even planning for that supply um, is a real challenge. Now, that being said, I think that we have become a lot more resilient through everything and we've had to become a lot more creative in how we're doing, you know, doing business and how we're, you know, managing our relationships and, you know, whether it's diversifying or whether it's creating strategic partnerships to ensure that we get that supply when we need it. Um, so I do think that there have been some real positive outcomes that have come from this. And I do think that, you know, we know that we don't know what's coming up. So how do we prepare, prepare knowing we don't know what's coming up, right? So, yeah. Yeah, I think that predictability is a real challenge. You know, whether it comes to when a crop is traditionally supposed to start and it's three weeks later and how that changes your plans, whether that's ad forecasting, whether that's looking at sales comparative to the same time last year and how different they are and the benchmarking. There's, there's so, the, the predictability of, of the future is, is really difficult. I would say that's one of the biggest challenges and there's a whole bunch of reasons why. Um, but just that unknown and the ambiguity of, of what that looks like makes it very difficult. Andrea, last question for you before we go to the question of the audience. That's what the challenges you're facing now. Crystal ball, five <laughs> years from now. The biggest challenge? Yeah. Water. I think water is the biggest challenge. I mean, we were in Morocco in February and there were lakes that were dry, completely, completely dry. So I think that's going to be the major issue going forward. They're, they're finding ways to put in desalinization and things like that in these areas, but it's very, very expensive. And it's something that you know a blueberry crop can maybe support, but maybe not a citrus crop. So I think that's going to be our biggest challenge going forward. Right. Jane, do we have time for questions? Yep, we do have time. Good afternoon, everybody. My name is Patricia from uh, iPhone Tracking. This question comes, it comes from the transportation industry. Um, here's the bigger retailers in the market and globally. Uh, it's an honor to be here to be with to be, be you, everybody. As a small, medium company, is there any programs that you guys have in your companies that can support us so we can support you and cut costs up to 15 to 20% in cost? 
I'm telling you this little example because before COVID, any shipments from Laredo to Canada, you couldn't cover from 25 to 3,000. Nowadays, it doesn't go lower than $5,000. I've seen it even well, last year, it went to cost just to move it Laredo to Ontario, $7,000. It duplicated it, we understand uh, it, fuel went up and all went up. And one little thing that we all forgetting is that as a small medium company, it's really hard to get with you guys and work with you directly just because we only own 10 or 15 trucks. So we have to, we're forced to go with the big brokers. The big brokers take it. Everybody can get a piece of this. It's a lot to supply. It's not enough. But we can help you. The small companies can help you to supply, but we don't have the room in none of your companies. It's always go to somebody else. Go to C.H. Robinson. Go to Seba Logistics. And we went to them. And I guarantee you, we have delivered every single facility that you have all across North America, which is Mexico State in Canada. But still can't get it straight with you, can give you the real prices of what it is, and cut a little bit of the cost. Because of that, we got no choice to be a trucking and a broker side. So I have, we have more options to figure it out how can we keep it in the industry, how to move things. So yes, my question is, do you have any programs that we can jump in with you? How can we work with you? And cut the big, 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 big people. They have the product, they have the system, they even move things. I'm just saying straightforward trucking industry. So if I may, your, your question specifically is that you're a small to medium transportation company that is looking to do business um, and you're finding it challenging to break into the market. Does anyone want to tackle this or do you want me to go in for it? I, I, I can, uh, I'll answer on Sobey's behalf short and sweet. Um, we have it, we have my, we have a counterpart team, they're our inbound transportation team, so for myself, my team's accountability is the actual working with the growers, the suppliers, um, but I could gladly give you my contact, get you in touch with them after, and take it from there. I'll just add from Costco too, we have an open bid system for our traffic lanes um, and we do have preference for carriers that have asset-based systems. So if you do own your own trucks, that does put you like above some of the brokers. So I'd be happy to also put you in contact with them. Okay. Any other questions? Hello, my name is Jorge Chamar. Same thing. Uh, I hold group. I hold trucking. I hold logistics in U.S. and Mexico. And uh, same thing. My family has trucks in Mexico. But we can do everything. Like, like you guys, like she said, if you, you know, if you have a problem, we can go through and check the main issues that you guys have. We can do direct from Mexico to the U.S. and cut costs. Another problem. Okay. Thank you very much. So I think you have the answer yes. already, but we'll be back. Oh, we have a qu question back. Thank you. Good afternoon to everybody. My name is Jose. I'm just wondering, oh, sorry, from North Bay. But really my question is in, in regards to the general procurement chain of logistics and all the constraints that have been going on since past years before, how the shipping lines most of people say they took advantage. There was a constraint, but they made it more difficult to return containers, so on and so forth. The thing is, the big chains have a lot of power in negotiations, because you procure from outside a lot of your produce and all of, of other types of things that are not perishable as well. 
So when you negotiate contracts with shipping lines, usually they give a higher rate to people that don't have too much volumes. And you can buy small things from other countries, let's say maybe 20, 30, 50 containers, not 1,000, 2,000, 5,000 containers, which probably is more of the inflow that you have on a yearly round basis. So isn't there a way, and this is just having ideas, but I wanted to ask this to you, being you the ones involved in that aspect is, isn't there a way that you can make like an alliance in general just to push the shipping line to have a better rate so you can offer to your suppliers independently because they allow you to use contracts that, let's say, Sobeys or Costco negotiated or Walmart negotiated. They have their own contracts, they have their special rates, so you can import directly and then you help the real producers to have better access because instead of having a small producer that pays $5,000 for a freight, now they can pay $2,000, $2,500, which is the rate that you give to the big players, let's say, right? So that way you can have better produce, more produce, more cheaply available for the general market. So isn't that something that could be possible? It's a lot of challenges, but have you thought about that? Because it's different businesses, right? So it's a lot of sensitivity of information and volumes and so on and so forth. But if you contract or you negotiate a big contract, with the shipping lines, and there are several that have routes all over the place, MERS, APL, there are several key players, you know them better than I. You could really get a, ver a better rate in general. I'm just Is, wondering. Does that sound like something that could possibly happen? I, I just want to, if I'm understanding the question. So, when we're, my team working with, with growers overseas, and yes, like I said to the lady over here, we have an inbound team and part of that is our ocean and they're negotiating vessels um, like anything volume volume is an influence it can be you know a tool in the toolbox but so I didn't understand really what what your end question I, I think if was. I may with all of us together yes. well you yeah, as a as as Sobeys a one supply chain of Sobeys yeah. actually contract a rate for all the material that you get in by containers and then share that rate with all the suppliers that you buy. We would try to, that would be done today from a certain origin point to destination. Like, well, exactly. Oh, sorry. I, yeah, that's, 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 that, that's, that would I be a goal. Challenge. Yeah. So and, in other words, go ahead. Yeah, and I think, I mean, we always compare an FOB versus a delivered cost, right? So if we're able to get freight for a cheaper rate, then what our suppliers can get, then by all means, we're going to do it ourselves yep. because we, yeah. we do have that those negotiated rates and contracted rates for the most part, not spot market that often our suppliers have to deal with. Um, I know in the U.S. they are piloting a program where they are allowing some suppliers to use some of our rates on trucks, and then they are splitting the difference if there's any any kind of um, benefit to margin to either one of them. So the supplier gets half and then we get half of that. Um, they're just piloting that right now and if that works out, that may be something that comes up here too. Oh, we are out of time. Any quick okay. questions? <laughs> no? I want to thank our panelists for their insights and information to, uh, you know, specific to their company and their supply chain issues. Thank you for the audience and your questions, and uh, I bid you all a great show, remainder of the CPMA show, and thank you all for coming.
For the last three years, CPMA has made a significant effort to get to know the Canadian produce consumer better. After all, where would we be without the people who actually buy the product offered by our members? To celebrate these efforts, I would like to introduce a new segment for our podcast series called Industry Insights. Each month, we'll hear from experts like Mike Mowdy, CPMA's own consumer guru, who will provide our listeners with just a taste of what we've learned about Canadian consumers this month. So welcome, Mike. I am very interested to hear what the Canadian produce consumer has to say. What did you learn this month? Well, thank you very much, Wally, for having me. I'm really excited to talk about one of my favorite topics, the produce consumer. Uh, And what we learned this month was a a variety of things. For one, we asked our panel what they thought about produce inflation and what they're doing to combat that inflation. We also asked our panel a series of questions on value-added produce. We wanted to know what some of the prevailing perceptions were that were providing some headwinds and tailwinds as it pertains to this very important category in the produce department. And then we also wanted to know who was buying value-added produce and what types of value-added produce they were buying. Inflation has been a hot-button issue for the past 12 to 18 months, but I hear it is getting under control. Is that how people feel about produce? Well, although inflation numbers have been coming down a little bit as of late, The produce consumer is still feeling that pinch at the cash register. In fact, we asked them that specific question if they felt that prices were more expensive for produce items today versus 12 months ago, and a staggering 9 out of 10 felt that they were more expensive. And that's compared to a year ago when we asked that same question. Although that number was still high, it was a little bit lower at 85%. But what's interesting is those that said it increased a lot, went from just about two-thirds of the population to just about three-quarters of the population. So people are definitely feeling that pinch a little bit stronger than they were 12 months ago. And now what they're doing to combat these feelings of, of higher prices is, first and foremost, they're shopping the specials a lot harder. Over four out of 10 of the, the panel said to us that they're looking for more specials. But perhaps what's troubling Uh, more troubling for us is that 60% or approximately three out of five consumers are saying they're buying less produce. Now, this is compared to half the population that said they're buying less produce a year ago. And we're also seeing this number translate into fewer servings per day uh, over the population. And also what's interesting is the different strategies being, being used by some of the youngest amongst our consumers. So those aged 20 to 34 years old, they're actually using a much more diverse uh, set of strategies, including uh, being most likely to buy less produce. But not just that, they're also buying less expensive produce. Now that might be a little bit concerning considering this is also the age group that is most inclined to buy organic produce. So if they're scaling back from the more expensive produce, we might be seeing that pinch point in, in, the organic, in the organic set. We're also seeing this, this age group go to discount stores uh, more frequently, but they're also trading down from fresh produce into things like canned produce and frozen produce. It'll be interesting to see uh, for the retailers out there who operate discount stores, if they're seeing a little bit of a shift in the age group of, of their, their clientele. 
Mike, you mentioned value-added produce. I know lots of people swear by it and others that won't touch it. What are some of the underlying perceptions? So that's an interesting question, Wally. So there, there are some pretty strong opinions when it comes to value-added produce, some good and some bad. Approximately two out of five uh, people on our panel have said to us that they agree with the opinion that value-added produce is less healthy. Now, that's compared to about one-fifth of the panel who is saying the opposite, that it is uh, that they disagree with the statement that it's less healthy. And approximately the same number of people are saying that value-added produce is a greater food safety risk than uh, bulk produce that they would buy off, off the bulk displays. Interestingly, a little bit more than that two out of five number is saying that value-added produce is worth the time savings in the kitchen, and it's also resulting in less food waste. So you see you get a, a couple of, of tailwinds on, on uh, value-added produce and a couple of headwinds, but there is a little bit of disagreement amongst the panel on those questions. One area where there is much more agreement is the idea of packaging. And approximately two-thirds of, of the panel is saying that they believe that value-added produce is, uh, uses too much packaging. And again, when we take a look at the, the demographics of these questions, we find that people who are younger and have higher annual incomes are more inclined to agree with all of those statements, whether on the negative side or on the positive side. Clearly, some people are buying value-added produce. Is there anything you can tell us about that consumer? Well, certainly. What's interesting is there are what they're buying is products that are pretty much complete. So products where they don't have to put a whole lot of uh, additional effort. So already cut, already washed, that sort of thing. Whereas some of the products where uh, you require a little bit more effort in the kitchen, they're not gravitating to as much. But if you were to take a look at the common value-added consumer, you'd find that they skew a little bit more to male, a little bit more to younger, a little bit more to uh, more affluent, and are likely to be purchasing value-added products anywhere in the grocery atmosphere outside of the discount divisions. So if they're, if they're shopping at a mass store or a conventional store or an independent, uh, likely to have higher uh, purchases on value-added, whereas the discount stores, not as much. And this one threw me for a little bit, surprised me a little bit. We see uh, a larger index in the Atlantic region and a lower index in Quebec. Very interesting information, Mike. Thank you very much for your insights, and we look forward to hearing from you next month. Great. Well, thank you very much for having me. Thank you, everyone. And to the listeners, thank you for listening. Remember, you can subscribe to Produce Talks at Google or Apple Podcasts and on most other podcast players. Until next time, fill half your plate with fruits and veggies, continue to seek out new knowledge, and basically never stop growing.